Today on Blue 58, the Packers have a long way to go to save their season, but it can still be saved. The first thing they have to do, though, is something they haven't done much this year. Beat a team they're supposed to beat. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdank, happy to be with you here a little bit later uh, than we anticipated for this week's preview, but that's the way things go sometime. Been thinking about the Packers um, in a different way this week. I think the the past few weeks, I've skewed too far toward one of the the two main directions you can go with football analysis. Because I think most conversations about football boil down to either what is likely or what is possible. And it's easy to get caught up on one of those two sides almost exclusively. And we've tended towards what is likely because what is likely seems pretty obvious. The Packers season hasn't gone all that well to this point, and it's going to be hard for them to get to where they want to be the rest of the way, especially if they keep playing like they have so far. So from that perspective, what is likely is they're going to have a really tough go the rest of the season, and they're probably not going to make the playoffs if things continue as they are. But what is possible is also possible. And I think we can be too quick to dismiss what is possible for teams. Because the Packers have shown some good signs over the past couple weeks, and there are some promising things about this team as it lines up with the rest of the season. Aaron Rodgers is playing better. Not to his standard, and I think he would say that. I wish he would say that. But that's a good first step. There are still divisional games for the Packers to go including this week. And there's no better way to make up ground in the standings than by winning in your division. Packers have four division games left. Sweeping the rest of their division games would go a long way toward digging out of this hole. There's still talent on the Packers' defense, though getting it all pointed in the same direction at the same time has been a bit of a challenge for the team this year. And there's still potential for growth on offense. If this offensive line ever settles in, that'll go a long way towards accomplishing that. And I think it's not asking all that much to have people keep an open mind about the possibility of the Packers' young receivers playing better. I mean, just as a for instance, Christian Watson has barely played this year. Any contribution from him is a step forward. Romeo Dobbs has been getting better, and Samori Ture has been getting some opportunities. There is still a chance that the Packers can save their season. It is possible. Is it likely? No. But unlikely things happen all the time. And stranger things have happened to the Packers. Look at how many, to use kind of a painful example here, look how many playoff games they've lost just because everything went wrong at the same time. Things melted down to an astonishing degree in Seattle in 2014. And if any number of the 55 things that had to happen for the Seahawks to get back in the game doesn't happen, the Packers are in the Super Bowl that year. It was unlikely that Seattle wins that game, but they did. It may be unlikely that the Packers get to the playoffs this year, but they still can. The season's not over yet. And that brings us to this week. 
where the Packers have to do something they've really struggled to do this year, just beat up on a team that's ripe for getting beat up on. The Lions are rebuilding and still in the rebuilding process. They have some interesting pieces in place, but it's easy to see why not everything is working just yet. They're lacking the biggest equalizer of all, a quarterback. Jared Goff, I think even by their own admission, is not their quarterback of the future. And to that end, things are going perfectly according to plan this year, because although the the Lions have been competitive in a lot of games, they're one in six, which puts them right in line for a top quarterback next year. Stepping back a little bit from that aspect of it, their head coach has been an item of some bemusement on this podcast. Let's put it that way. We've, I don't want to say poked fun. We've pointed out some interesting idiosyncrasies about Dan Campbell in the past, and I'm sympathetic to the appeal of a guy like Dan Campbell. Everybody in league circle seems to speak pretty well of him. He's regarded as a guy who can get things organized for you, and there's a reason that Sean Payton kept him around in the position that he was in. He helped things run smoothly for the Saints. But when your team is 1-6, and six, I have a hard time imagining a kind of guy I would like to play for less. Just relentless, tough guy enthusiasm in a season and a situation where you are hugely undermanned. It seems like a tough sell, and it seems like it might get tiring after a while. And I don't have any evidence for this one way or another, but you wonder if just wearing guys out might make the Lions think a little bit differently about their long-term approach to their coaching situation because, well, they're still rebuilding, as we pointed out, and maybe they decide that Campbell is not the guy that they want once they've finally got what they think is their quarterback of the future in place. But Campbell has made the Lions competitive. In one-score games, the, I think, ultimate measure of whether you're just unlucky or bad, it looks like the Lions might be a pretty unlucky team this year. They are 0-4 in games decided by 7 points or less. They've got a 3-point loss to the Eagles, a 4-point loss to the Vikings, a 3-point loss to the Seahawks, and a 4-point loss to the Dolphins. Now, they've also got two losses on their schedule where they've scored a combined 6 points. So the Lions, to be sure, are pretty bad. But they're also getting some bad breaks that's causing them to lose some games that were winnable. The Packers are going to have to play well this week. It's not that the Lions are some juggernaut, but they're also not going to roll over for the Packers either. Just because they're 1-6 doesn't mean the Packers are going to just walk into Detroit and walk out with a win. They need to execute, and they need to take care of business against this team that shouldn't be able to hang with the Packers, but it's going to give them everything they've got. The Lions' offense is both surprisingly good and, I think, surprisingly efficient. They are top 10 in scoring. They are top 10 in net yards per passing attempt. They are top 5 in yards per rushing attempt. They're 14th in scoring. They're 7th in yards per drive. Detroit, in summary, is moving the ball pretty well. And if the Lions have a typical offensive performance, the Packers are going to need to score quite a bit to stay in this game. Offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is calling the shots for them here. He's had a bit of a weird career, has the unique distinction of holding over from a coaching staff twice after the previous head coach was let go. 
He was an assistant for Joe Philbin in Miami and held on to his job after Philbin was fired. He was an assistant for Matt Patricia in Detroit and then kept the exact same job after Dan Campbell took over and then a season later got a promotion. He specifically wanted to simplify the Lions' offense when he took over. He's implemented a lot of one-word play calls. He runs a gap scheme running game as opposed to a zone scheme, specifically attacking holes instead of areas. Think A-gap and B-gap runs versus inside and outside zone. It's a small but significant distinction. It puts a lot more responsibility on the offensive line than on the running back, which makes sense because they've tried to draft and invest into their offensive line. Lions quarterback is Jarrett Goff. Pretty middling stats across the board. Under 64% completion rate, just under, though, 63.9%. 12 touchdowns, 6 interceptions so far this season. His adjusted net yards per attempt, the single best number I found to kind of encapsulate quarterback performance, is at 6.76 this year. That is the third best number of his career. According to Sports Information Solutions, only 71.4% of his passes have been deemed on target this season, though. That is the second worst number of his career. Lions offensive line has a bit of a mixed, mixed assessment, depending who you're looking for. Their pass block win rate from ESPN is 22nd in the league. Their run block win rate is 13th. Their adjusted line yards from football outsiders rank them third best in the NFL, right behind Green Bay, in fact. Their sack rate from football outsiders Second best, pretty good pass blocking line. They have the 27th ranked pass blocking team, according to Pro Football Focus, and the 12th best run blocking team. So the numbers are a little bit all over the place. In summary, pass block win rate from ESPN is not so good. Uh, Pro Football Focus generally agrees. Football Outsider says, eh, maybe not. To continue our game from last week of Find the Donkey, I would say right now on the Lions offensive line, it's probably Taylor Decker. He looks like the weak link on the Lions offensive line. They're long-time starting left tackle, and it's weird to see him have a bit of a dip in his performance this year because he's played the Packers well over the years and has generally been a pretty solid tackle uh, year in and year out. He played nine games last year after having an unusual finger injury, but uh, had a foot injury in the Packers game against the Lions in Week 18, and then took much of the offseason to recover. He says he's good to go now, but lower body injuries and 300-pound men are a hard thing to be super confident about, so it's understandable why he may be off to a bit of a slow start this year. Maybe rounding into form through the back half, we'll have to monitor his performance and see how he does or how he's done the next time the Packers see the Lions uh, way off in Week 18. Their passing game really boils down to three guys, which has recently become two guys. Amon Ross St. Brown leads the team with 50 targets, but he's only averaging 9.8 per catch. It's worth noting that he spent about half his time in the slot this year, which will affect how he matches up with the Packers because they can't figure out what they want to do in the slot. Uh, Rasul Douglas has been getting plenty of opportunities there. Would like to see Jair Alexander in there a little bit more, but we'll see how the Packers handle that this week. TJ Hawkinson was second on the Lions in targets, but he is now a member of the Minnesota Vikings. Josh Reynolds rounds out their top three with 26 catches on 42 targets, averaging 13.7 per catch. That is their biggest play guy right now consistently. He's averaging a yard and a half per route run, according to Pro Football Focus. That is their second best mark among their receivers after Amon Ross St. Brown. Their run game if the Lions had their preference, would center around DeAndre Swift, but he's been hurt this year. Instead, we see a bunch of old friend Jamal Williams carrying the load. 102 carries for Jamal, 464 yards, and eight touchdowns through the first half of the NFL season. Interesting note. 
who should we know about on this offense? It's not a guy who's playing. It's a guy who's not playing. And that guy is 2022 first round pick Jamison Wilson. This was the plan for the Lions this year. They took him knowing that he wasn't going to play until late in the season, if at all this year, because he tore his ACL in the national championship game in January. Some people think he was the best member of that incredible run of wide receivers Alabama has had over the past few years. I don't know about that. I don't have a good enough handle on their relative abilities. But it does seem like Williams is really good, and he was really, really, really productive in his one season in Alabama. So if people think he's the best, they've got plenty of ammunition on their side. I do have two questions, though. First, what would their offense look like with him on the field? And second, did they give up too much to get him? We don't know the answer to the first one yet, but it seems like there's a chance it could be pretty promising. If the Lions are doing what they're doing this season without a their top wide receiver draft pick, with a, a running game that is not utilizing their, their top back, what does it look like next year if they're able to get a good quarterback and add Jameson Williams into the mix? Maybe the Lions have something. The second question, though, that gets to be a little bit tough because Watching trades like this gets to be an interesting exercise in value, perceived value versus results. It's a process versus results decision because the Lions traded the 32nd pick, which they got from the Rams in the Matthew Stafford trade, the 34th pick, and the 66th pick this spring for pick number 12 and pick number 46. They traded all this to the Vikings, which makes it worse in my opinion. The Packers also traded a couple second round picks to the Vikings this spring. Why do, does everyone want to give their picks to the Vikings? I don't know, but the Vikings seem willing to take them. Now, according to two of the three big trade value charts, the Lions actually won this trade on value, but value only matters in the draft if you do something with it. So the Lions take Jamison Williams at 12. Also on the board at 12, Jordan Davis, who's been great for the Eagles, Kyle Hamilton, and Jahan Dotson. Some names worth remembering. On the board at 32, safety Lewis Seen, wide receiver Christian Watson, running back Brees Hall, safety Jalen Petre, edge rusher Arnold Ebiketti, cornerback Kyler Gordon, running back Kenneth Walker, a bunch of guys who maybe could have helped the Lions. Also on the board at 46, George Pickens, Alec Pierce, two good, solid, young rookie receivers. I'm not saying that Williams won't be good or that even the trade wasn't a good one for the Lions, but they had other options here too. And for a rebuilding team, it seems like keeping more of your draft picks might be prudent just because you get more swings at more guys something worth keeping an eye on over the years. And I'm glad the Packers didn't trade up for a rookie receiver, uh, sending a couple draft picks to a division opponent. That would be very silly, wouldn't it? I say that extremely tongue-in-cheek, of course. How do the Packers stop this offense? I'm not sure, because the Packers' run defense is real bad, which, of course, helps the the Lions' passing game, too, which has been pretty good. I think teams have found that running against, against the Packers lowers the stakes for passing, it really opens things up, especially if you've got a young passer, say like, oh, Bailey Zappi or Zach Wilson or Taylor Heineke, you know, just teams like that, just to pick three off the top of my head. If you can run against the Packers, your quarterback who you may not love has a lot less work to do in the passing game. So if the Packers want to stay in this game, the first thing they have to do is stop the Lions on the ground. And to do that, I think they need some tendency breakers, which means some different personnel decisions, which means Dean Lowry and Jaron Reed probably should be coming off the field in favor of TJ Slayton more. I don't know. I do know why the Packers have wanted to play Lowry and Reed, because in theory, they're better pass rushers. 
but it hasn't made a difference so far this year. Them, in theory, being good pass rushers, and I think you can really quibble with the idea of Jaron Reed being a good pass rusher this year, looking at some of the data on him. Whatever they've offered you as far as upside against the pass is not paying off with what the Packers are giving up against the run. So the Packers need to really consider how they're trying to stop the run with people and then build out the rest of their defense from there. People are going to always be ahead of scheme, and the people the Packers have used to stop the run so far this year haven't been getting the job done. On defense, the Lions are just impossibly bad. This is one of the worst defensive performances we've ever seen in the NFL. Let's run it down for you. By scoring, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By yards allowed, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By first downs allowed, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By drives that end in points, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By points allowed per drive, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By DVOA, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL. By EPA allowed, the Lions are the worst defense in the NFL by miles. And just to cherry pick one last example, according to Pro Football Focus, no team in the NFL is worse at covering pass catchers than the Detroit Lions. And I picked that one because of this astonishing fact. The gap between the Lions' coverage grade and the Arizona Cardinals, who are the 31st best team in the NFL, is bigger than the gap between the Cardinals and the Jaguars, who are the 23rd best team in the NFL. The Cardinals are almost closer to being the 20th best pass grader or best graded team in pass coverage than the Lions are to being the 31st best. The Cardinals would have an easier time jumping eight spots than the Lions would of jumping one. That is how bad the Lions are on defense this year. If the Packers cannot move the ball against the Detroit Lions, I know we had talks about what was probable or what was possible versus what is likely. If your offense can't get it in gear against Detroit, it's just not going to happen. There is no better team to fix your offense against than the Lions. Aaron Glenn is their defensive coordinator, second year as their defensive coordinator, worked for Dan Campbell in New Orleans. He was also a defensive back coach there. He was an assistant defensive back coach under Mike Pettin in Cleveland, which explains why he came up as a 3-4 guy, but also switched to a 4-3, or but has switched to a 4-3 this year. That switch was primarily to fit what some of their young draft picks are capable of doing. In particular, second overall pick Aiden Hutchinson, he's more comfortable as a 4-3 hand-on-the-ground defensive end than a 3-4 type guy. Aaron Glenn started his coaching career after a 15-year NFL career as a cornerback. Of note in that career, he intercepted Brett Favre in 2004 in the Texans' first ever game against the Green Bay Packers. Interesting, well, I guess to me, a connection between the Packers and, uh, and Glenn there. As we've covered, the Lions' pass defense is bad. But hey, at least they fired their secondary coach. Uh, their secondary grades are much better in man coverage than in zone, but the ceiling is very low on that grade either way. Cornerback Amani uh, Oruarie is their worst graded coverage guy in both categories, though, so finding him should be a priority. Aaron Rodgers surely knows about him by now. Run defense, again, not going to dig into that too much, but the Lions grade so badly against the run that it's almost like they don't have a run defense out there at all. 
In terms of guys we, we should be aware of or talk about, I want to talk about Aiden Hutchinson here for a second because I like Kayvon Thibodeau out of Oregon at number two better than Hutchinson, so let's compare them through their seven games so far. Hutchinson does have four and a half sacks, but three of those came in one game. He has three tackles for loss this year. Overall, that gives him a production ratio of 1.07. He has nine quarterback hits as a pass rusher. According to Pro Football Focus, he has a raw pressure rate of 9.69 on the year. His pressure rate on true pass sets, which we'll talk about in an upcoming episode, I want to dive into that a little bit, is 15.4%. Pretty good. Thibodeau, for comparison, has one sack and no tackles for loss so far. He has three quarterback hits as a pass rusher. He, however, has a raw pressure rate of 10% and a pressure rate on true pass sets of 16.4%. So right now, the raw stats favor Hutchinson, but the advanced stats slightly favor Thibodeau. That's the sort of conversation, again, that we're going to have to monitor for quite some time. time. The Lions are making some interesting decisions. Can't say that. Can't say that they've been boring. Uh, They they are doing some interesting things, and these are the sort of interesting things that uh, end up having long-term consequences if you're a general manager in the NFL. Tracking their production ratio in ball hawks, their pass rush is just not dangerous at all by production ratio. You've got Hutchinson up there over one, but other than that, nobody of note. Linebacker Malcolm Rodriguez is at a .86. He has five tackles for loss, so not really a pass rusher there. Charles Harris, a defensive lineman, is up there at .75, but it is it is pretty sparse for the Lions pressuring the quarterback that way. But it's even worse when you talk about their defensive backs making plays on the ball because no player on the Lions has broken five ball hawks yet this year. Aiden Hutchinson leads the team with four and a half, and all of them are sacks. So where should the Packers attack? Honestly, just be smart here. There are going to be opportunities, whether you're running the ball or passing the ball. Just be smart. Use whatever's working. Don't get too fixated on one or the other. Because again, if the Packers can't move the ball against the Lions, they're not going to be able to do it against anybody. Quick notes on special teams. The Lions have used three different kickers so far this year, including Dominic Eberle, who was with the Packers for a little bit earlier this calendar year. Michael Badgley did it for them last week, 4-for-4 four four on the year on field goals and 3-for-3 three three on PATs. Worth noting, he has not kicked off for the Lions this year. Their previous kicker did, or one of their two previous kickers did, but with Badgley around, they've had their punter handle the kickoff duties, and that is third-year punter Jack Fox. Big leg guy, career average above 49 yards per punt. He's averaging 49.6 yards per punt this year. He is a second team or was a second team all pro and pro bowler in 2020. So pretty good punter there for the Lions. Hey, if you're going to be a really bad team, losing a bunch of games, you might as well have a good punter. They've had three different guys handle things for them as kick returners this year. All three have a return of at least 33 yards on the season. Not too shabby, but not getting regular duties back there either. So we'll just see what we get on Sunday. Their punt returner is Khalif Raymond. He's only returned nine punts this or 10 punts this year, but he's averaging 7.9 per punt return on 10 returns, a long of 13. The last time we saw the, the Lions against the Packers was in week 18 of the 2021 season. And I want to talk about that game, that game, not because of the game itself, but because of what ended up being some long-term consequences there. The Packers, I had wrapped everything up through week 17. They had the top seed in the NFC. They didn't they were NFC champion or NFC North champions that comes with being the top seed in the NFC. You really can't get one without the other. Uh but they had nothing to play for in week 18. However, they had some things that they wanted to do. 
they wanted to play some of their starters because Matt LaFleur said they'd done a study and they, they learned that people who did play in Week 18 fared better in the playoffs than, than teams who didn't. Okay, fair enough. They also wanted to work in a couple injured guys who hadn't played in some time. David Bakhtiari was going to play his first game in a while. Josh Myers was going to play his first game in a while. It, they needed to get those guys some reps or wanted to get some of those guys some reps. Aaron Rodgers in particular pushed hard for David Bakhtiari to be out there on the field. And finally, they had to get Devontae Adams, the single-season receiving yardage record, because these things are super important when you're playing for the playoffs. So what happened? Well, they got Devontae the record, but Bakhtiari seemed to have a setback with his knee. He came out of the, the game for what Matt LaFleur said was conditioning issues, but he later told Cheesehead TV that he had a significant amount of fluid in his knee after that game. It was similar, if you look at his narrative, to when he had his first setback with his knee near the middle of that season. The Packers also lost Marquez Valdez-Scantling to a back injury in this game. Didn't seem all that significant at the time. Guys are going to drop out of a game like this for any reason at all, so there wasn't really that 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 much of a reason to look into it at the time, but it ended up being an issue because in the divisional round playoff game, the only receivers who played significant snaps were Devontae Adams, Alan Lazard, and Randall Cobb, who himself was coming back from an injury. We've pointed this out before, but having Marquez Valdez-Scantling on the field for that game probably makes a pretty significant difference. Even if you want to ding Aaron Rodgers for locking onto Devontae Adams a bit in that game, and, you know, the tape analysts have pointed out that there were pretty good reason to throw to Devontae Adams in a couple of those situations that people have criticized Rodgers for, MVS would have made a difference. The 49ers were, were vulnerable to deep passing in that game. MVS was the Packers' deep threat, and he would be their, their best deep threat this year if he was on the team again. Bakhtiari, meanwhile, not being out on the field, I don't know if you want to throw him out there for the very first time in a playoff game on a cold field against an elite pass rush, but not having Bakhtiari meant the Packers went a little bit crazy on the offensive line. They decided last minute to switch Billy Turner from right tackle to left tackle, even though he hadn't played there in a year, start Rick Wagner on the right side instead of, uh, excuse me, not Rick Wagner, Dennis Kelly on the right side, getting my journeyman tackles the Packers have started in the playoffs mixed up a little bit. Um, they start Dennis Kelly on the right side and leave Yash Nyman on the bench. Now, would things have been different with Yash out there on the left side and Billy Turner on the right side? I don't know for sure, but I do know that Dennis Kelly gave up a pretty important sack at a pretty significant time that probably cost the Packers a shot at the end zone. Was week 18 worth it? I think the answer is no. So how did the Packers win this game against the Lions? We talked about it during the Packers or during the Lions offensive segment. The Packers have to stop the Lions on the ground. Winning this game is going to start there. If the Lions can run, and they're going to try, they can keep this game close. And as we've seen so far this year, if you can keep a game close against the Packers, you've got a pretty good chance of pulling that out late. Then the Packers have to score points. The Lions are going to score. The NFL in 2022 is set up to help the the offense score as much as possible, and the Lions have scored quite a bit this year. If the Packers can't score consistently, just say goodnight, because the Lions are going to. Then they have to get into the game that they want to play. So what you want to do, finally, if you can do those two things, is get into the game that the Packers are built to play. The Packers want to play from in front. They are built to play from in front. You want to score points and get ahead. 
Then you want to turn your pass rush, pass rush loose and let your elite secondary, I say elite um, because that's what they're supposed to be, not, not because that's what they've been, but you want to turn them loose while your pass rush goes to work, while teams try to pass to get back into games. Then you want to use your elite ground game to just hammer away and run out the clock and end the game. If the Packers can get in front, I think they'll be able to play from in front pretty effectively against the Lions. But if they can't slow the Lions down and this turns into a shootout, it's hard to pick the Packers in this one. I think the Packers' offense, though, is headed in the right direction. And I think after what we saw a little bit against the Commanders and a little bit against the Bills, we're going to see the closest thing to a breakout performance we've gotten from the offense yet this season in Detroit this weekend. The Packers match up, even with their fairly limited receiving core, pretty well against the Lions. They have pass blocked better as their offensive line has gotten healthier. It hasn't been perfect, but they've gotten better. And if they can protect Aaron Rodgers and let him target some of these weak members of the secondary, shoot, who knows what could happen. Maybe Aaron Rodgers has a a statistical throwback game. Maybe Christian Watson has a breakout performance. Maybe Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson and Samori Ture all go bananas in this one and just put up big numbers. I don't know if I'm banking on big numbers from the Packers offense, but if they're going to do it against anybody, it's going to be the Lions. In terms of our Packers polling this week, 77.6% of voters think the Packers will win. That is the highest total highest confidence since week five, when 94% of voters thought the Packers would win. 77.6 is hardly a slam dunk, though, especially against a 1-6 and team, I think, which reflects overall the confidence that voters have in the Packers right now. And in fact, if you look at the polling as a whole, people are not super optimistic about the team. We've got single-digit approval ratings in the team as a whole. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is down to, uh, well, he's up to 27% this week from 77 last week. Uh, and uh, Joe Barry, of course, down in, in the 3% range. The Packers offense as a whole hanging out at 3.2% and the Packers defense down at 8.3% too. approval rating. Not high really across the board. For me, I think it's a Packers win. And I think they're going to put it together on offense. I really think that they can do it. And I think the defense gets enough stops against the run, maybe forces Jared Goff into one bad mistake, and there's your win. I wouldn't say I'm as confident as I could be about this kind of pick, but hey, I mean, it's been worse in the past. And man, <laughs> if if the Packers can't get it done against the Lions, all that talk about what's possible to open up the show kind of just has to go right out the window. Because even if they might theoretically still be alive at three and six, if you can't score enough to beat the Lions, you probably don't deserve to be in any kind of conversation about playoff success anyway. So Packers, beat a team you're supposed to beat. Do it convincingly. Do it that shows you know what's going on. Please, just for my own sanity. And start to get your season back on track. It's going to be tight from here on out. But it's not impossible. So let's talk about the possible. Let's hope for what's possible, even if it isn't all that likely. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. We'll see you next time. 
after the game, hopefully celebrating a Packers win. In the meantime, if you like this show and you think someone else would enjoy it too, do me a favor and share it. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which is going to help all of us, me included, perhaps me especially, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.